I want you to imagine a restaurant with me. Imagine that you are driving around town and you start seeing these advertisements of this restaurant everywhere on billboards, you're getting flyers, you're getting postcards in the mail, and the restaurant looks like it is the most exquisite restaurant you've ever seen, at least by the pictures and the way they're describing it. The food always looks delicious and wonderful. And usually when they advertise the pictures, you see this massive great big banquet table with, with just imagine turkey in the middle and, and all the dressings and all the toppings and, and Thanksgiving and Christmas combined. I mean, the food is just looks like it is to die for. And on the billboard, they, they show this great banquet table of food. They, they show people sitting at the long table. And you can tell just by looking at the picture that this is a restaurant where things are happening. I mean, everybody knows each other's name at this restaurant. People are excited to see one another and they're all, they're all seated and they're sharing food and all these pictures, these glossy photos, everyone is smiling and they're passing the food. And it says at the top of the billboard for the restaurant where everybody's welcome and everybody knows your name. And you think to yourself, you know, I gotta try that restaurant one of these days. I mean, it, the food looks amazing. I mean, Christmas and Thanksgiving and all the holidays combined. And then you go in and everybody knows your name and, and everyone is welcome. And oh, by the way, the food is also free. What a gift. So you think to yourself, I'm going to try this restaurant. So one day you, you take up the courage to, to go into this restaurant and, and you think, well, hey, I'm welcome. Everybody's welcome to the free food. Everybody's welcome to the table. So you walk in and you, you get a plate of food and you start to walk around. You notice this doesn't quite look like the billboards and the postcards that I saw. In fact, you, you don't see one big, long banquet table. And, and by the way, the food is great still. Uh, the food is exactly as advertised. But what's odd is, is though the food is great and the food is not as advertised, you walk around and instead of one big table, you see a bunch of tables separate from each other. And almost that same feeling that you had in junior high, wondering who's going to let you sit at their table, you start to feel. Your palms are sweating. Your heart is pounding. You don't know where are you going to go. Which table are you going to choose? And, and no one's really seeming to look up and saying, come and, and sit here. And as you look closer, you notice at the center of the table are signs. And the signs, they, they say, Democrats only here. And you look to the next table and it, it says, Republicans only here. And you look to the next table and it says, all lives matter people only here. And, and you look to the next table and it says, pro-immigration reform only here. And you look to the next table and it says, rapture believers only here. And then you look to the next table and it says, post-millennial believers only here. Or pro-men in ministry only here. And you start to look around and you see this just vast array of signs to the table. Pro-mass only here. Anti-mass only here. Pro-Fox News only here. Pro CNN only here pro this pastor here or pro that pastor here and you start to panic where am I welcome where am I going to sit it doesn't look like it was advertised and then you look a little closer and you see the people sitting around the tables 
they're happy to be at their particular table. And, and at the very least, it, it's as advertised that people who are at their tables, they're quite happy to be together. But you also notice that the food that they're eating, they're eating as though it's bitter. They're responding to the food with just this bitter taste in their mouth. And as they eat this bitter food, you can see them sneering around their shoulders looking to those at the other tables, and you can tell that they're all talking about one another. And you wonder, what kind of restaurant is this where everybody's welcome, everyone knows your name, one big great banquet table, they say, and yet here we are. What is this, you wonder to yourself? I wonder... As the people of God in Christ, the church, big C, what does the world see when they see us? When the world comes in to the church, to the churches in our nation, and we tell them everyone's welcome, but then they, they come and they wonder, where's the table for me? Now, I know as your pastor, and I believe that churches around the country, that, that if we were to ask them, what do we want the world to see when they see us? We'd all say, we want them to see Jesus in us. We, we sing songs, Lord, I want to be more like you. We pray, Lord, make me like you. I want to be like Jesus. And, and we know the scriptures which says, therefore, be imitators of God. We want to be like Jesus. And we pray that when the world sees us, that they, they would see Jesus. We want the world to see Jesus in us. You know, thankfully, we don't have to guess what that looks like, do we? Imagining what it would look like to look like Jesus, scripture actually tells us all throughout. That's, that's why we lean into this book every week and hopefully all of you every single day because the Bible tells us how, how to look like Jesus. And I, I know this won't be surprising for any of you. I'm probably speaking to the choir here. But when the Bible tells us how to look like Jesus, you know, it isn't by our politics. It isn't by what we drink or what we don't drink only. It isn't by what we are against or who we are against. It isn't our buildings. It isn't our programs. It isn't our ministries. It isn't the seats in a building. It isn't our coffee Shops. It isn't our, our live stream quality. It isn't our music. It isn't our choir. It isn't whether we're Democrats or whether we're Republicans. It doesn't, isn't whether we, we believe in the rapture or not. It isn't whether we wear masks or we don't wear masks. It, it isn't CNN or Fox News only. But it's deeper than that. And all those things, don't get me wrong, those are all outflows of this deeper thing, right? But what is it that they see in us that produces those things on the outside? 
And I, I just wonder when the world sees us and they, they walk in like to this restaurant, what do they see? Are, are we known for what the Bible tells us to be known for? John the Elder has a word for us this morning and how it is we do look like Jesus. Let's take a look at what 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11 says in today's invitation to John the Elder. From John the Elder, let's take a look. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command but an old one which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. John writes to his beloved dear friends, the people of God in Christ, that he has such a nurturing and pastoral heart, like an elder brother caring for his, his younger siblings. And he's a pastor that's incredibly concerned about the witness of the church. He's, he's deeply concerned about what the world sees when they see the people of God in Christ gathered there in Ephesus. And he, he encourages them to consider their life together. And he writes what he calls an old command and also a new one. So we wonder, which is it? Is it old or is it new? Well, it's both. This is a command that, of course, goes all the way back to Moses and in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, when it says, love your neighbor as yourself. This is also a new command as it is enacted and embodied and lived out in the person of King Jesus. Jesus commands us to do that. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with everything. And this is the most important command. And again, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus talks about being perfect as his heavenly father is perfect, which is to live in the way of perfection is to live in the way of love, to love as God loves. And then in John's gospel, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then, of course, 1 John 3, 16, John tells us, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers 
and our sisters. This new command then that Jesus stands on, which is of course an old command, but this, this new command in which he stands on is enacted by him. Therefore, the people of God in Christ, we can look to Jesus if we want to know what this love looks like. We don't have to scratch our heads and wonder. We look to Jesus. We look to the revelation of God in Christ. Love is perfectly and fully realized in King Jesus. Love is perfectly and fully revealed in the person of King Jesus. And so therefore, as John is telling us this old and new command, he he calls us to love and to live in light. And he even says this truth, in verse eight, he says this truth, it's seen in him. In other words, this love and this light, it's seen in Jesus, it's enacted in Jesus, it's revealed in Jesus. We see the revelation in Jesus. It says it's seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. In other words, those who who live in Christ, I mean, truly live in the person of King Jesus and the power of Christ through the fellowship of the Trinity, reflect the light and the love of Jesus. And so he's calling the people of God to reflect the light and the love of Jesus. He says, if you walk in the light, then you also walk in the way of love. Similarly, if you walk in the way of darkness, you walk in the way of hate. So John has a major concern here as he writes, is the love of Jesus truly being enacted in this community? When the world peers in, do they see Love. You see, for John, hate has has many different layers. And for him, hate is to be totally shunned. Hate is not welcome in the fellowship, not even a little. Hate is fully and completely compatible with light. Hate is fully and completely incompatible with the way of Jesus. Those who, who belong to the world live in the ways of hate, and those who belong to Jesus live in the ways of light and love. Darkness and hate go together, and love and light go together. And so let's talk for a moment about the, the many different layers for this word hate. Well, when we look at the original language, we, most of us are familiar with hate meaning to detest. I mean, it's to just absolutely detest. You have that bitter taste in your mouth. But it can also sometimes be more subtle than that. It can be to show disregard or disfavor. In fact, Several scholars note that, that John may not be referring to hate and the detest, but maybe, maybe more the subtle way. For example, we, we might disagree with each other. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. We, we will disagree with each other as the people of God in Christ, but it's what we do in those disagreements. When we, when we disagree, are, are we, we going to try to step into the world of the other and seek to understand and humility, and curiosity? Or instead, are we going to take a prolonged stance of rejection? Are we going to take a prolonged stance of exclusion, which eventually turns into this form of hatred, and taking a prolonged stance of exclusion in such a way that those on the other side, we actually begin to demonize them. 
We actually begin to paint a picture that they are bad and anyone else on that side of the line are bad and we are then good. Consider for a moment 1 Corinthians 13, the words on love. If we were to reverse it a little, if love is the antithesis of hate, then I think we could say the fruits of hate are impatient. Hate is not kind. Hate envies, hate boasts. Hate is proud and haughty. Hate dishonors others. Hate is self-seeking, hate is easily angered, hate keeps a record of wrongs, hate delights in evil and rejoices in the darkness, hate seeks to stay and live and hide in the darkness, hate attacks, hate harms, hate divides, hate turns inward and seeks to demonize anyone on the other side. They definitely will not know we are Christians by our hate. Love, on the other hand, is not only enacted in Christ, but it looks like Christ. In other words, to love is to live in God and to love like God. And so John uses these incredibly contrasting words for us. On one end, we have love and light, And on the other hand, we have dark and hatred, and it seems really just kind of dualistic here, doesn't it? Like as if there's no in between, but what John is trying to do for us is is paint the picture that we either have allegiance to Jesus or we don't. We either have allegiance to the ways and the love of Jesus or we have allegiance to the ways of darkness. We either are going to take a prolonged stance of exclusion and rejection and turning the other way. And, and these, these things that divide us seeking to, to make the crevasse even bigger and keep digging it and digging it and digging it to the point where we don't even recognize one another. To the point where we now view others on the other side as evil, as wrong, and as bad. You see, for John, there's, there's no in-between. For John, it's, it's either you're living in the light or you're not, as we also talked about two weeks ago. And either hate or love are outward signs of one's life. And all that follows looks like hate or looks like love. And so John tells us in verse 10 then that that only those who love their brothers and sisters can be seen in the light. In other words, if you love, you're in the light and you reflect the light of Jesus. So the question for us then is what does the world see in us in the church, big C, and also, of course, us here at Paz Naz? Now, here's, here's what's really important for us to understand about this text. We want, we want to be faithful to the text. So here's what's important for us to understand. Is John is not just talking about general love. He's actually talking about a very specific kind of love. He's talking about love within the fellowship, within the people of God in Christ. In other words, us who gather 
He's talking about love that Christians have towards one another. Now, of course, all throughout scripture, we, we have powerful verses about loving the stranger, about loving our enemies, we have about loving our neighbors, but John is actually talking about a very specific love within the local church and within the fellowship, within the people of God in Christ. And for him, when the people of God in Christ love one another, this love that is enacted by Jesus, the light then radiates outward into a very dark world. And in the ways that we love one another, that light shines brighter and it bursts, it radiates out into a dark world. For John, this is the way of light and how we love one another. This is the way of Jesus. They will know we are Christians by how we love one another. Love the way Constantine Campbell puts it. He says, failure to love is one of the worst indictments of the church in the eyes of the outside world. And rightly so. If there is a rabid conflict and infighting within the church, how can we possibly claim to be people of love to a world that desperately needs it. Now let's just take it another layer deeper here for what John is talking about with this this love. This isn't an easy love. See, oftentimes we read passages like this and, and we think, oh, love. Let's just get around and let's sing kumbaya and let's just all love one another. And let's just, let's just all quote these love passages and let's just talk about how much we love one another and how, how good it feels for us to be together in our love. We just love talking about love. But John, again, isn't talking about an easy kind of love. And again, he, he's not talking just about loving those on the street, loving the stranger. Because actually, sometimes it's easier to love the stranger less vulnerability to getting hurt. It's easy to show acts of love and kindness to those who are just kind of acquaintances, but it's harder to love with a group of people that we're in the long haul with, or in close quarters, or rubbing shoulders with, or you know, having to see one another all the time, and we're just kind of getting tired of one another. You see, guess what? Most of the churches in the first century world, they weren't perfectly harmonious in their thinking. Yes, yes, of course, in in Acts we see this honeymoon phase, but that honeymoon phase does not last very long. There are massive disagreements in the first century church. And guess what, they also weren't homogenous. They weren't all one culture. They weren't all one like mind. They, they, They had disagreements, they had different, I bet you they had differing ideas on how Rome ought to function. I bet you they had differing opinions on how Caesar ought to rule. I bet you they had differing opinions of what it meant to be a citizen of of Rome and also a citizen of the kingdom of God. They definitely had different ideas on how they ought to practice their faith. We see this all throughout the letters in in scripture, which means they were vulnerable to disagreements and definitely vulnerable to factions. So here's the reality of our life together. 
and living out this love that is enacted by Jesus and living out this love that is to radiate outward in a dark world. It's not when, excuse me, it's not if we hurt one another. It's when. It's not if we annoy each other. It's when. It's not if we disagree with one another. It's when. It's not if you're going to dislike a pastor's preaching style or a sermon. It's when. It's not if you're going to leave a gathering being a little frustrated by the songs saying. It's when. It's not if you're going to dislike a pastor. It's, it's when. It's not if conversations on racism are going to get hard. It's when. It's not if we're going to have massive ideological disagreements. It's when. It's not if we're going to disagree on which president should be in charge. It's when. It's not if we're going to disagree on who to vote for. It's when. It's not if we're going to disagree on viruses and how to approach it. It's when. It's not if we're going to disagree on, on how we're going to live out our life, our Christian life in this world. It's when. It's not if we're going to be frustrated about how things are run. It's when. It's not if we're going to not want to be around one another, it's win. See, this type of love that John talks about, it's not an easy come together, let's all agree. But it's a long haul kind of love with fidelity, with trust. And that, that's the hard thing. That's not easy. I tell you, it's, it's easy to love acquaintances. Whenever a pastor comes to a church or whenever a new person comes to a church, there's that just wonderful honeymoon phase. And then we get in and we start to notice these tables everywhere and, and everyone is not as shiny and glossy and sparkly as we once saw. And then we think, oh my goodness, what have I gotten myself into? What have we gotten ourselves into? Hear the words of C. Clifton Black. Maturation in Christian faith happens at close Christian quarters amid the church's motley messiness and unredeemed sin. Let me read that to you again because it's so good. We don't have it up on the screens this morning because I added that in last minute. But it says, maturation in Christian faith. In other words, the maturing moments where God is refining us, shaping us, and creating us in his image. Guess what? It doesn't happen in those easy moments. But that refiner's fire comes. He says it happens at close Christian quarters. And guess what? It's not in a perfect community either. But he says... It's amid the church's motley messiness of unredeemed sin. That's the hard kind of love. We're living in, in crazy times. There's a lot of disagreement happening in our world. I'll be transparent with you. I joke, it'd be great to be in a church where we all agreed with one another. Just create a little house church. 
where we all have the same ideology, where, where we all want to talk about racism in the same ways, where we all want to just agree on the same style of music and we all just agree that everything is just the way that we want it. And I got to tell you, for me in the way that I'm wired, polarizing contexts like this are a living nightmare. It's stressful. Especially when we live in such a partisan political world where everything has been hijacked by politics. Yes, everything has become political. Which makes our job as pastors really challenging because we, we are often feeling silenced because we can't mention things in the pulpit because we don't want to get too political. Christians, what we're doing is we're participating in the rhetoric of the world and we're allowing hijacks. We're allowing partisan politics to hijack our conversations. We're allowing disagreements in the posture of being right to, to create crevasses between one another. And my heart laments and breaks as I see all across the nation Christians creating their own tables, their own little happy hubs and tables, their own little echo chambers, instead of leaning in with one another and the messiness with this motley crew in close quarters for the long haul. Church, Big C, I think we can do better. They won't know we are Christians by our factions Quite the opposite. We are called to be different. They will know we are Christians by our love. And then everything that we do flows out of that. I want to invite you, wherever you are, to bow your heads and, and close your eyes. And before you close your eyes, I want to invite you to just take your hands and the posture of receiving and surrender. And I want to pray a prayer for you. It's a special prayer. It's not mine. I didn't pray it. I didn't write it. But it was prayed in the garden as Jesus wept, blood dripping, tears streaming, agonizing about the cup that he was about to drink. As he was about to drink this cup, he had us in mind, and he prayed for us. So imagine Jesus kneeling in the garden, agonizing about the cup he was about to drink. And hear these words, and allow them to take root into your heart as I pray Jesus' prayer over all of us. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as you and we are one. I and them and you and me, so that the world may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them 
even as you have loved me. Father, I I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may all that you do be driven by one thing. Love. Love for one another. That our love for one another would radiate out in a dark world. And the world would say, ah, they must be Christians.